I'm pretty sure my department had a police chaplain for a while. I know that sounds bad, but the reality was working night shift didn't give you an opportunity to interact with all the members of the department. I figured out we had a police chaplain when his office appeared in the basement next to the locker room. One day, when I came to work to get ready, I noticed a new sign on the door. Police chaplain. I poked my head in and looked around. It was a standard block wall office, fluorescent lighting, and a few motivational posters on the wall. Nothing dramatically different than any other office in the building, except for one major thing. It had a couch. The department's chaplain helped me more than he will ever know simply by having a couch hidden in the basement. It's time to start telling our own stories. I'm Steve Kellums, and welcome to Blue Canary. There is a lot more to the police chaplain than providing a comfortable place to hide for a few minutes during a shift. Police chaplains are a support system for officers in a time of crisis. They provide emotional and mental support to the department's employees as well as the community. Even with those laudable goals, they are not common in departments, and many officers who serve in communities or agencies that don't provide this type of support may be unfamiliar with the chaplain concept altogether. Recently, I had the pleasure to speak to Jim Bontrager. Jim is the senior chaplain with the Elkhart, Indiana Police Department. He serves as vice president with the International Conference of Police Chaplains and has won numerous awards for his work in law enforcement. Jim shared with me his journey to become a police chaplain and how his eyes were open to the experiences law enforcement officers face every day. Well, the journey started back in 1995. Kind of got here backwards, met a sheriff's deputy, became good friends. Uh, he helped me to understand what his world looked like, and I was in horror. And as I got to know this guy, I had a heart. It broke my heart to see what was going on in law enforcement. So we started an event back in 1995. It was grown to be the biggest, hopefully, state fair kind of event for cops in the nation. And uh, we just started for 27 years, knife throwing, tomahawk throwing, battle axe throwing, spear chucking, long shooting rifles, pistols, cans, machine guns, skeet, you name it. I mean, this is a Wally world for cops. We do each fall. Uh, being a United States Marine, uh, I ran a nonprofit organization, work with inner city kids. Uh, we started a mentoring program with cops getting involved with kids before they got in trouble. Saw some tremendous things happen where law enforcement officers got a chance to speak into somebody's life before it was broken. Saw a lot of young men who didn't have a father figure in their life. A lot of things snowballed off of that. And then I, I kind of turned in the current adventure. So. Through that, built relationships, started to understand that there's uh, some needs locally for police chaplains. Uh, applied, wasn't ordained at the time, so I didn't qualify, so I had to wait a little bit. My department snatches me up, and for the last 18 years, uh, I'm vice president, actually, of the International Conference of Police Chaplains, which is the world's largest chaplaincy organization. Our, our main mantra there, all we try to achieve is developing uh, professional law enforcement chaplains through dynamic education and support. So for the last 18 years, uh, the last 11 of which have been full-time just trying to uh, be immersed in the culture. So it's been kind of a backdoor approach to getting there. I was unfamiliar with the common duties of a police chaplain, and I know that I wasn't alone in this regard. Jim explained what a chaplain does and what the expectations are in the law enforcement world. What we do is uh, chaplains, we get a basic course of instruction. Uh, most chaplains are pastors uh, to some degree. And the reason for that is there's a clergy confidentiality privilege there. So that's obviously important when you're trying to deal with the deeper things of life. But then chaplains come in, they get a, a core courses of training that help them to understand a law enforcement world, uh, some of the unique challenges of law enforcement family, uh, just critical incidents. Uh, 
you know, just uh, mental health issues and things that challenges offers experience. And then they often come in, we make death notifications. Uh, we're there to walk along with officers through critical incidents and just to be there in a corner where they're cheerleaders for the profession. Uh, we're a liaison to the community as we try to help the community better understand law enforcement, law enforcement better understand the community. And there's a number of roles. And for me personally, I have a resiliency. Uh, my biggest focus is on developing resiliency and helping a warrior culture understand what its biggest challenges are that's taken its life the most, and that's suicide. Religion can be a touchy subject. The United States was founded on a principle of religious freedom. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You don't have to go far to find a wide variety of religious beliefs. How does this affect the police chaplain? What if the chaplain is a Baptist, but one of the officers is Catholic? Jim explained the history of chaplains and how they're supposed to serve everyone. I think you go back and you start looking at the roots of chaplaincy. You know, as a as I did some research on the subject, I found that Charlemagne back in the fourth century, actually, uh, uh, he in incorporated a chaplain in direct service to advise him in ecclesiastical and secular matters. America's first chaplain, uh, Jacob Duchesne, back in 1774, when the storm clouds of war gathered on the horizon, how he went in and had a profound impact. And so chaplains, oftentimes, uh, most people think it's a guy's trying to shove religion down your throat. A chaplain, in my experience, is someone who has a background in people who realizes that his job is to come in on behalf of the community and to serve anyone. I don't care if you believe, don't believe. I don't care what your belief system is. I don't care what your lifestyle is like. My job is to love on you in the middle of crisis, to help you to better understand uh, you know, what you're going through and to lead you in the path of wholeness. And if I have any kind of uh, religious element in my life, I better live it out loud. And, uh, uh, and if I live it out loud, then you can ask me questions. You and I both know working in law enforcement, you know, uh, I've had nut jobs in the back of my car that uh, that claim to be <laughs> some religious leader, Jesus Christ or something else. You know, if you want to go around dropping all that stuff on people, they're going to you know, put you in the same milk. But if you're going to live out something in front of people, you know, and, and that's one of the misconceptions there is we're not here to shove anything down anybody's throat. We're well versed in church state relationships. We all know that there's a you have to have a secular purpose as a chaplain. And so, you know, we're educated. We're, we go into it with eyes open, realizing our responsibilities. I really wanted to discuss the issue of suicide in law enforcement. Jim and I share a common interest in building emotional and mental stability within the profession. His focus on building resiliency, as well as breaking down the issues in a simple manner, is not only refreshing, but helpful in understanding the issues officers face on an all-too-common basis. I personally operate on four core convictions that kind of inform my response. The first one is, is we have a tendency to be reactive rather than proactive. You know, we're dispatched to calls, held over for reports, called in for training, called out for our special units, subpoenaed the court. And we don't realize that this job has a way coupled with hypervigilance of, of helping you to go home and uh, have your wife or husband or someone be your dispatcher. So our first challenge is to proactively do things. The second challenge gets to be is the fact that since we wait till it's broken, oftentimes we get mental health professionals in and we expect them to fix things. Well, that happens to a certain degree. But unless a mental health professional is embedded in an organization, we got a trust factor here. You know, everybody else in the world gets the benefit of hanging around normal people that tell the truth. But my job as a cop is I have to assume as an investigative tool that you're all liars until I can ferret out who's telling me the truth. Or well, what other profession do I have to absolutely assume that everybody's a liar every day? 
cops don't trust anyone, but they don't know. And they're not going to share their deepest, darkest secrets. So relationships, a big element there. If we can get mental health professionals embedded, or if we can go to another plan or, 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 or work together, such as we do in our agency with chaplaincy. The third thing I look at is we, the phraseology we use to try to turn around and couch the terms we try to get officers to get some backup. Uh, we turn around and tell them, well, if you're having help, or if you're struggling, or if you can't handle it, or if you can't do this or that, well, that's perceived as weakness in the culture. So I think that's stupid. You know, how do I need help if I got a four-year-old who's dumped on my steps? And, you know, I go to respond to a call, dumped on the front steps of his mother who has drug issues to the point where she loans her kids out to be sexually abused. And they take cigarettes and put them out over his body. And I'm going to kill the blankety blank because he did that. How does that make me mentally defective? The average cop has 188 critical incidents in his lifetime. And so how do we how do we normalize this with the new hires and, and officers to say, you're a normal person, do an abnormal job. Then the fourth assumption I make in here is the fact that we got to recouch these terms because many times our mental health efforts or encouragement is perceived as touchy-feely crap. So what I've done is try to repackage the whole thing to say, number one, it's our best interest to go after the guy with the matches rather than put out fires. Our department's unique in the sense that we have really four main elements. You know, we're working with new hires to get them on the same page with what I'm talking about. We're working with new spouses, significant others, and a spouse component to help equip them so they can work as a team. And then we have a peer support element that we're working on. We have chaplains, and then we have a mental health professional comes in on 20 hours a week and is a part of the team. So as an agency, we got a wide net here where we're trying to uh, deal this and, and give guys choices that can mitigate the uh, impact of this job blow by blow. I think that's so important. Rather than wait till it's broken, let's look for ways to mitigate the impact of a blow by blow. Let's look for ways to proactively train officers and their loved ones, significant others, to, to get an understanding of what they're up against and to proactively give them tools that are going to mitigate the impact of this job blow by blow. Because you know what? Loved ones don't cost us anything. They don't cost us anything as a, in a police world. And, and, and our bean counters can appreciate that. Dr. John Violante, the expert on police suicide, University of Buffalo, uh, said that 32% of all police suicides are relationship issues. So for us to go back there and strengthen relationships, to get new hires and their loved ones on the same page, and to proactively make a difference is, is a huge win-win-win situation. And the second thing that happens for me is we got a couch of terms. I have a course called Sun Tzu and the Officer Resiliency Mindset. And I took the principles of Sun Tzu and the Art Award to try to help guys understand how you, you want to talk about the ultimate battle you're in, you're, the battle for your mind. As an officer, going to a suicide call of one of your own is devastating. You find yourself questioning what you could have done or should have done to help. You suffer like family of the victim officer, because family is what we are. How do we face the issue and address it? How do we fix it? Well, I think we got to help guys understand how it happens. You know, what is it? See, the only way I can stay sane in this day and age is I have to realize I have a sphere of influence, that I, I, I can be a police officer at Elkhart Police Department, Elkhart, Indiana. And what that means there is that's the place that I've been assigned to make a difference. And evil's number one tool is to get me upset about the things I have no control over. It can be something happening in Portland, Minneapolis. It can be craziness has happened in Atlanta. It doesn't matter what it is. If I focus on enough bad news over time and I sit there and start to bite on it, suddenly the things out of my control it can start to influence the things in my control and I can do my job and be more and more negative and I have less influence at home, less influence as a cop. So one of the foundation principles is 
and resiliency and keeping your mind in the right place in this day and age is to turn around and understand that all you ever had from day one, that rookie cop just didn't want to miss his radio traffic. Life was simple. He didn't care. He just wanted his report to be approved. Life was simple. I had fun because I took my sphere of influence and I did it with excellence. That 15-year veteran bid on lies that went out there and said, you got to get all bent out of shape about this. And these stupid people are doing this. And this is all broken. And administration's whatever. And it's this and this and this until I'm lured in a bad place mentally. And that's why I believe Sun Tzu and the Art of War, it's a powerful tome to help guys understand how that happens. Sun Tzu said that, you know what? All warfare is based on deception. And, and he said, warfare is based on deception. And what I want to do is I'm going to study who I'm trying to take out. And I want to accommodate myself to my enemy's purpose. And, and I want to look for strategic vulnerabilities in what he's trying to do. And I want to lure him out in ambush because I don't take a, a superior force on with an inferior one. I want to use deception to lure him out in ambush, pounce him hard, and the ultimate warrior gets your, gets him to surrender without a fight, i.e. suicide, quitting. And we get that in this profession. Here's my classic example. I tell cops all the time, how many have taken martial arts? We took jujitsu. We had a private instructor as a family for a year. And my 16-year-old Curtis would be on my back trying to choke me out all the time. And for some reason, as a dad, I just didn't think that was cool. And I didn't think tapping me out was a good idea. And so I would fight against a deep choke, got in my chin tucked, pulling down on it. And would I be a stronger warrior by going to my sensei and say, can you give me some pointers on how not make this happen? Or would I be stronger by just saying that's the cost of doing business? Now, obviously, the first guy. So the point gets to be at the end of the day is strength in a warrior culture is going and taking whatever you're struggling with, take it to someone who can help give you some skills to become stronger in it. That's strength. Weakness is when you have something you're challenged with, which we all do, and you never, ever deal with it. That's perpetual weakness. And what we got to realize is evil uses deception to get us to think strength is weakness and weakness is strength. And we have to recouch this all in different terms and an understanding to lead officers out of the hole to a place of wellness. Being in control is a big part of a police officer's life. And Jim tells us the problem. Evil's number one tool is to get me upset about things I'm not in control of. Giving up control and recognizing what true strength is, that's how we battle suicide. Being in control all the time and trying to show strength doesn't leave a lot of room for trust. To be an effective police chaplain requires trust. How do chaplains build that trust with the officer? It's one of those times where time and consistency, you know, if you're going to be an effective chaplain, number one, you're going to go there and realize you're in the way. You know, that you're going to get in somebody's office, mess it up, be a headache for them, and you better be apologetic about it. You better go in there with your tail between your legs saying, I'm sorry to mess up your life. The second thing you better have is some humility. You better go in there realizing you got a lot to learn. And you know what? This guy's doing you a favor by being there. The third thing you're going to have to have, which is most important than everything, is confidentiality. And so when I go in there and, you know, I'm going to be baited by cops, they're going to tell me their most perverted whatever just to see if I blab it to others. And so it's one of those things where you have time in, you care about people, you build a relationship. And, and I, I call it a vulture ministry, Steve. I sit up on a tree and I just, <laughs> and I wait for a disaster. I swoop down in, I love on them. And then I go back to the tree and then I come down and do it again. And eventually you start looking for the vulture. Where's he at? Where's he at? You know, he's useful. And, and see, those relationships over time are built to the point where they realize you're a trusted member of the team. You care about them deeply. You keep your mouth shut, your willingness to learn and grow, and you can help take some of the burdens that they're carrying them and carrying them and in doing so win their love and affection and, and trust. Abraham Maslow said, 
The human being needs a framework of values, a philosophy of life, a religion or religion surrogate to live by and understand by, and about the same sense that he needs sunlight, calcium, or love. That's why I believe there are no atheists in foxholes. Now that we understand a little more about the role of the police chaplain, why do so many departments not have them? Well, I think it's number one, that they don't know what they are. I think number one, we have to do a lot better job as far as us and the International Conference of Police Chaplains and others to show the value of a chaplain. I think the second thing gets to be is the perception there that they're just to preach. You know, I have a thousand hours of, of training on my own dime here, or, or my department's paid for some of it. We're trained in ways that people have no idea, you know. I think it's a lack of understanding of what a police chaplain does and has to offer. And so I think it's just one of those things that, you know, we have to start to realize this is a great time in history to start rediscovering that. To understand the level of commitment a police chaplain brings to the position, I asked Jim if it was a paid position. Uh, no, I have to raise my own support. I'm on, this is on my own dime. I believe in the cause enough that I told local community members, businesses, churches that, you know what, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a little turn here just to try to contextualize this, this statement here. You know, if you look at America, America is interesting. If you go into the Jefferson Memorial, you'll see four panels there. And one of the panels, you'll read some familiar words. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the creator of inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, driving the just powers from the consent of the government. And so our founding document said, you know what? Rights come from somewhere. There's a God up in heaven. And there's some kind of threat to those rights. Those tasked with addressing that threat is a civil government and the enforcement mechanism of civil government is law enforcement. And the question gets to be at the end of the day is why, what is it we're fighting against? Are we just fighting against a pure physical thing or is there really such a thing as evil? Well, when we come back and start looking at, I think as a chaplain, you know, looking at Charlemagne's model, my job is to help you to understand to a certain degree the nature of the battle you're up against in a spiritual sense and then give you a secular application of that so you can appreciate it. You know, the case in point is, is when you sit there and think about this, see, when you first got off the FDO program, you were a new cop, you were having more fun than should be legal. I mean, you, you'd done this job for free. Well, fast forward 15.64 years on average now, later, the average cop took a gun, put it to his head last year and blew his brains out. Does he have the same less, uh, than, does he have the same sad and mad, bad clientele that he had at the beginning? Sure he does. He's got the same clientele, the same people, same kind of people. Does he have the same less than perfect leadership? Sure he does. Well, what is that? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's evil. And you have to understand how evil works. And you have to understand how it takes your head in a bad place. It, you know, it, one size fits all in this project. And so I think the big thing gets to be is to help you know, administrators understand the importance of chaplains, what they can bring to a profession, and, and how that can make a big difference as a part of the overall uh, mental wellness efforts of a department. Chaplains serve as a clearinghouse of mental and emotional trauma. While the officers act as a reef, letting those waves of tragedy break over them, the chaplain steps in and helps clean up the mess afterwards. That must take a toll on them. Who do the chaplains go to for support? Chaplains have a special relationship with each other because they're in the middle of the stupid all the time. And because of that, you know, we all ebb and flow. Sometimes we'll have a, a bottleneck. You know, I buried two of my officers within 18 months. You know, one was line of duty death. The other was a skydiving accident. You know, and I had guys that come in there and just checked on me and loved on me and say, hey, Jim, in and, you know, prayed for and encouraged me. So we try to keep an eye on each other. Uh, we have a team of six at our department that look, keep an eye on each other. And when we hear about bad calls, this, that, you know, we always try to be there and love on each other. 
And also the uh, International Conference of Police Chaplains has a whole uh, unit dedicated to being there for peer support. So we got some great resources available. If an officer feels they need assistance, but their department doesn't provide it, where can they go to get the help they need? Well, to start with, you, you feel free to put my information out there that anybody wants it. But, you know, we have a lot of connections around the country. And so if you're going through some challenges there, there's some uh, other organizations uh, that are doing some great work. Cortico's got a wellness app where they have an on-call of people that you can talk to. Some of our peer-to-peer support systems out there in the cop world that are going on, you know, where we got retired cops that can make a difference. But uh, my encouragement would be to reach out. You know, there's a uh, there's a number of ways that we can connect anybody across this country with some resources will make all the difference. So feel free to reach out and we'll do our best to connect you. Uh, same thing with the International Conference of Police Chaplains. We have 2,200 members in nine plus nations. So we have representation all across the country. If nothing else, they know of local resources and they can point you in the right direction and be an encouragement. Jim wrapped up the interview with a story about John Quincy Adams. My favorite stories is a president named John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams was our sixth president. The unique thing about John Quincy Adams is he lost his reelection bid and he became a congressman. He's the only president who became a congressman. And the interesting thing about John Quincy Adams is the fact that he was an ardent abolitionist. He was against slavery. And uh, at the time, the House had a gag order that anyone who mentioned about slavery, John Quincy Adams specifically, wouldn't be recognized from the House floor. And it's my understanding that John Quincy Adams, for eight long years, came up and he preached about the evils of slavery before the house, and they would ignore him. And somebody come to him one day, and they said, John Quincy Adams, what are you doing? He said, you're wasting your time. And you know what John Quincy Adams said, Steve? He said, the duty's mine, the results are the Lord's. And so I think duty, first of all, is something we lost touch with, that we forgot about duty and just the beauty of doing the right thing no matter what. But the interesting part of that story is Representative Louis Gomert out of Texas talks about the Paul Harvey rest of the story segment. He said there was a freshman congressman who came in during John Quincy Adams' tenure. Uh, He only won one one term for two years. This freshman congressman became friends with John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams was a a crotchety old man, but he took this young congressman under his wing. They became good friends, and this congressman uh, was one of his pallbearers in 1848. You know who that congressman was, Steve? Abraham Lincoln. And the reality gets to be, folks, is we're in a day and time right now where this country is under assault unlike any time in history. And if you're going to be sane, you got to realize the same thing you did as a rookie is you only have so much opportunity to impact what you're dealing with. You have to have the mental discipline to let go of the things that are outside of your control. You ask yourself every time you're getting frustrated, can I do anything about this? And if I can't, then let go of it. And what you got to do is you do your part with excellence. You do it because it's a heaven sent mission. You do it because you have duty and you trust God with the results. And he may be working in ways you have no idea, but whether America stands or falls or goes to hell in a handbasket, you did your part and you can go to sleep at night knowing that you're making a big difference. And every one of your listeners out there involved in this God sent profession, I want to salute you. I want you to know we appreciate you. You're making a big difference. You weren't medieval knights. You weren't called to be cowboys. God put you here for such a time as this. And he did it because you have the right stuff to stand in the gap, to swing the sword and then not give up, let up, slow down or let down because we're going to win this thing if we stay in it. And that's the story we have to tell. Blue Canary is here to help you tell your stories, and I couldn't do that without the help of some very generous sponsors. Let's take a quick break to hear from one. Help your team rise to increasing expectations with Agency 360's cloud-based software. Whether it is for the training of new employees or annual performance evaluations, Agency 360 can help trainers and supervisors streamline documentation 
create consistency, and communicate clearly. Help retention by setting the tone and culture early with Agency 360. Learn more at agency360.com. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y 360.com. Thank you for joining. As always, I'm curious what questions you're getting asked. What isn't the news covering? What story needs to be told? Connect with me at bluecanarypodcast at gmail.com. 